but I just want to jump right in today. And uh, if you have your Bibles or your devices, we'll put all the scriptures. All my notes are on the screen so you can follow along very easily. Uh, but the book of Romans, this is the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to give you some context in just a few minutes of what he's saying and why he's saying it. But he says this, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, I urge you, Paul saying what I'm about to say is of the utmost importance. I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Then he goes on to say these words, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Everybody say transformed. By the renewing of your mind, this will be, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But verse two says to be transformed. Transformed. I love transformation. Anybody else like transformation? I, I think if we're honest, we all like transformation, don't you? Come on. You love transformation. You do. That's why you watch HDTV. You, you love transformation. I don't know what your show is. I got a bunch of shows on HDTV. Anybody watch HDTV? Yeah, well, I, I like the Property Brothers. I don't know if you watch the Property Brothers. I like the Property Brothers. Uh, I like the, um, the folks in Laurel, Mississippi, uh, hometown. Have y'all seen that one? Y'all, they find houses for like 20 grand and fix them up. It's amazing. And then there's like a flip or flop. But probably my favorite show of all time is, is Fixer Upper. Y'all know Chip and Joanna? Y'all know them? You feel like you know them? You've gone to Waco just because you think you're going to meet them, right? And, um, but what we like when they take some junk and then they transform it into page 12 of Southern Living. We love that. We love transformation. And so my question today is simply this. Here's the question I want to ask. How is it that we can come to expect Chip and Joanna to turn every fallen apart, foreclosed flop into the house of your dreams? Yet when it comes to our life as the church, we've settled for no renovations at all. Can you imagine if the Property Brothers or Chip and Joanna, you pick your show, purchased the home and had all the resources available, they had all the tools, all the contacts, all the subs, all the money, all the skills to fix the house, to renovate it, and they own the house for 15 years, and the ending episode was the same as the first episode and nothing changed, HGTV would go out of business. How many know that's true? So my question is, so why is it okay for the church, for believers who were purchased? You were purchased, by the way. God paid a price for you. It was called his son, Jesus. He paid it all. For a large percentage of believers who were purchased, but years to have gone by and we look exactly the same. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So watch this. When, when you get saved, you got purchased. Is there anybody that's unashamed to say today that you're saved, that, that you're saved, that you're a Christian? Come on, wave at me, talk to me. Listen to me. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the body of Christ, the goal is not being purchased. The goal is being transformed. And I have a feeling that in the American church, we have allowed the transaction to happen. You got saved, but we've never allowed the transformation to happen. 
So we've settled as the American church for transactional living instead of transformational living. And so I just want to take a few minutes this morning and I want to preach to you on the subject of from transaction to transformation. From transaction to transformation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. God, I know that it's your word. It's your thoughts. It's your heart. It's what you have to say to change this. It's not what I have to say. It's not my words. It's not my thoughts. So I pray today, God, you hide me behind your word. And as we read and unpack your word, it changes us from the inside out. So I pray today, may we never be the same in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You know, preaching is a very interesting thing. And uh, Dr. King had a thought on preaching the gospel that I wanted to share with you to kind of set up this morning. He says this, he said, if you preach the gospel in all aspects, with the exception of the issues which deal specifically with your time, then you are not preaching the gospel at all. I could put that in my Pastor Nick vernacular and I would say it this way. Uh, preaching ought to smell like real life. That we ought to be able to take the cultural context and narrative of scripture, but we also must be willing to see that context and apply it to our current climate. That we should be able to take God's word and it not just be true 55 AD or uh, when Paul wrote this text, but it also needs to be applicable in 2020. So we can take the lens of Paul, see it through his lens and apply it to what we're facing in our nation and our culture today. So if it was true then, how many know it's true today? Because the word of God is living. It, was, it's not, it didn't say it was living. It is living and it is active and it's the same yesterday, today and forever. But in order for us to understand the complexity of God's word in today's climate, we have to view it through the lens in which it was written. So to understand Romans chapter 12, you have to understand why Paul was writing the book of Romans. The book of Romans wasn't a book, it was a letter. Paul had always intended to be in Rome preaching. It was his dream to preach in Rome, but Paul didn't get the chance this op at, at this point to preach in Rome. So he's writing from Corinth to the people of Rome, specifically the Roman church. And he's going to spend the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans speaking to the culture and the climate of the depravity of Rome. You have to understand at this point in time, Rome is the epicenter of the world. All roads lead to Rome. Rome was an economical powerhouse. They had more money than any other uh, society on the planet. Uh, so when it came to money and resources and finances, Rome had it going on. It, they, they were also a military and political power. Their trust and allegiance in Rome in first century uh, AD was not to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their allegiance and trust was put in political powers. That's why that it was mandated for the first century Roman uh, society that when they greeted one another, they would greet each other with this saying, Caesar is Lord. Lord was not a name given to Jesus according to Roman culture. Lord was a name that was given to Caesar. Can you imagine us in today's climate walking into Walmart and you see your friend from church and greeting them not with what's up, bro, but saying something like Trump's Lord. Biden's Lord. Some of us aren't real far off on that. And, and so this was, the, this was the climate of their day, that their allegiance was to a government system. Their, their trust was in a government and economical system and structure. Rome was also a hotbed for idol worship. They, they worshiped food gods. They worshiped sex gods. They, they, they had all these different idols. And, and, and don't get it twisted. Idols aren't just something that, that you build a statue or a monument to. That's not what an idol is. That's what they would do. But an idol is anything that you place your trust in. It's anything that you put above 
God. We, we can do it with many things. We can do it with money. We can do it with power. We can do it with government. We can do it with acceptance. You can do it with every, whatever you want. And, and so they, they were a political power. They were an economic power. Um, uh, they had idol worship. They'd put their trust in all these different things. But it's, it was also, Rome at this point was overtaken by sexuality. Paul's going to begin to address things that are happening in the church because of Roman culture. Things that were once forbidden were now being celebrated. So in the church, he's telling them that, that lesbianism and homosexuality is running rampant. He's talking about pedophilia and old men and, and young men having relations with one another. Uh, he's talking about temple prostitution in, in, in Romans chapter 1. If you begin to read the context of it, there was actually pornographic images in the city squares that were written on the walls like hieroglyphics, like pictures uh, being acted out on walls that when you would walk in, you would actually see pornography in the city and town Square. So this is, this is what it's, it's a hedonistic culture. Just, just do you, whatever feels right, whatever feels good, just, just go for it. And then finally, it was full of ethnic conflict. Rome at this time was full of Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is going to address both in the conflict between the two. So I just want you to not look at this as 55 AD. I want you to think about this 2020, because in 55 AD, let me just tell you what their culture was. It was a hedonistic, me-centric, political cesspool running rampant with immorality and racial issues. Sound familiar? Sounds like America to me. So Paul's in the first 11 chapters, Paul is going to, he's telling us that this world is full of sin and depravity. He's telling them that their culture has created a pattern and the pattern is immoral, it's ungodly and it's evil. And he's telling them that this pattern and this culture that's in the world has crept into the church. And so though they profess to be believers and have their trust in Christ, the pattern and culture of their day dictated how they would think, how they would talk and how they would act. So you have a church in first century Rome that now looks no different than the world that Jesus saved it from. And so Paul's going to address in the church some issues. And here what he, he comes right out the bat. Look, this is Romans chapter 1. And he says, they've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Check this out. They're gossips. In the same sentence as murders, Paul throws in gossips. Talking about people. Slanderers. Think about that next time you get on Facebook. God-haters, he goes on to say, they're arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity or faithfulness, no love, no mercy. Check this out. And although they know God's righteous decree, although they know the righteousness of God, it says those who do such things, what does it say? Deserve death. And I don't think Paul's just isolating the church in Rome. That's true for me. That's true for you. Every person in this room, we have one thing in common. We all deserve death. There's no person in here, there's no, the Bible says, no, not, not one righteous, no, not one. That our righteousness, even in the nostrils of God, are filthy rags. And so there's nothing on our own that we can do to become good. There's nothing in Nick Carroll by himself that is good. If any good comes out of me, it's not of me, it's of God. And so uh, Paul says, because of that, every person in this room, we all have one thing in common. We deserve death. We deserve hell. And he would go on to say throughout the book of Romans, as you continue to read it, he would say stuff like this, that all have sinned and fallen short. That's, that's the one thing we have in common. Every person in this room has fallen short. Then he would say, because we've fallen short, 
that, that sin, he would go on to say in Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. That, again, he's saying we all deserve death. But then he adds this word, but. I am thankful for this but because it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news, that in the midst of a fallen world, in the midst of a world that is given into culture, God has made a way for us to not get what we do deserve. The reality is we all deserve hell, we all deserve death, but God loves us so much that he gave us a way to not get what we do deserve. That's the gospel right there. God has made a way out. It's called mercy. That's what mercy is. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. And I'm so thankful the Bible says his mercies are new every single day, which means God has made a way out for you in the midst of culture every single day. Can anybody just thank God for his mercy today? Can anybody just thank God that he has rescued you and, and, and made a way for you? And so the reality is Paul goes through 11 chapters telling us how jacked up we are, how messed up we are, how depraved we are, how we've all fallen short. But he says the good news is in the midst of all that God made a way called mercy. And then he says, I've taken 11 chapters to tell you about how wicked you are, but the good news of mercy, but then he gives us a responsibility, what we need to do with that mercy. Because a lot of times we think, well, we just give our life to God and we receive the mercy and we don't have the penance of death anymore. And so we're good. Paul says, that's not what Christian living is about. So if you pick up in Romans chapter 12, verse one, he says, therefore, now, if you remember fourth grade English, Anytime you see the word therefore, you got to ask yourself, what's it there for? It's Paul saying because of the first 11 chapters, because of the fallen world, because I've presented the gospel of grace and mercy to you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you, our Savior's church, I urge you, church family, in view of God's mercy, in view of his salvation, in view of him not giving you what you do deserve. He's like, don't just stop with salvation. In, in view of you receiving the gift of grace in mercy, him rescuing you, he says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. He's saying, because of this mercy, true worship is now when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. I just want you to see the dichotomy in these two words. Living sacrifice. They are oxymoronic. The word sacrifice in itself means to kill something. That's what it means. If you sacrifice an animal, you killed it. When, when uh, Abraham was uh, sacrificing Isaac, he was instructed to kill him. The word sacrifice means to bring death to. The word living means to be alive. So the word living sacrifice, the term living sacrifice literally means to be alive by death, which means as a believer, as a Christian, in order for me to be fully alive, to do the work that God has called me to do, I must die to some things. I must die to myself. I must die to culture. I must die to my sin. I must die to flesh patterns. I must pick up my cross daily. I must deny myself. I must crucify my flesh. And it's only then that I can start to live a transformed life. Are you tracking with me? What am I saying? Everybody raise their hand when I said, are we saved? Woo, we're saved. Listen to me. God's plan is not just a saved life. It's a transformed life. We've settled for the saved life. God doesn't want to just save you. He wants to transform you. 
I'm going to give you three, three thoughts here in the next 23 minutes and 12 seconds. Three steps to kingdom transformation. I'm going to tell you what not to do, what to do, and then how to do it. You with me? All right. Number one, write this down. What not to do. Paul says, don't be conformed. That's what he says. He says, don't be conformed. Now, everybody say conformed. Everybody say conformed. The word conformed in, in the Greek is the word uh, sushimatizo. That's what the word is. And it literally means to be put into a mold and to be molded and shaped for a purpose. The world around us is molding us and shaping us. They're trying to put us in a mold and tell us what to think even about God's word. They're trying to put us in a mold and shape us. It will shape our thoughts. It will shape our speech. It will shape our beliefs. And the reality is public opinion now shapes truth in America. If the majority of people on social media say it, it must be true. And we have laid as a church, the church, I'm saying the church, American church, we have laid truth down and we've conformed to what the world is throwing out. And we're watching the American church as a whole conform. We're looking more and more like the world instead of the world that God saved us from. God saved us from the world. We're, we're in it, but we're not of it. And so for the first time in a long time, listen to me, the divorce rate in the church is now caught up with the divorce rate in the world. Christians are getting divorced at the same rate that non-believers are. Uh, infidelity in the church is at an all-time high. Uh, adultery, extramarital affairs, we're looking no different than the world. Addictive behaviors, alcoholism and, and uh, drug addiction and pornography, it looks the exact same in the church as it does in the world. Sexuality and identity is now being defined not by what God says, but what culture is telling us. And now we have churches and denominations and organizations who were founded on the word of God that are now conforming their belief system, not to what God says, but what culture says. We are conforming, the American church is conforming to this world. That's why we allow CNN, hello, and Fox News to define how we feel as a Christian on issues that we should be telling them how we feel. Can I just, can I just say this? It's not even in my notes. Newsflash. Jesus is not a Democrat. For you people on the other side, let me help you out. Jesus is not a Republican. Let me take it a step further. Jesus ain't even an American. I know I just squashed all your political bubbles. The second we get into bed with a, a political allegiance, we lose our prophetic voice as a church to call that party to reform. That's why when your candidate does something that's ungodly, there's Christians on social media defending that candidate We've lost our prophetic voice to call candidates and political powers to reform. Guess what? Jesus, Jesus is not Republican. He's not Democrat. He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. That's not in my notes. It's free. Paul said, don't be conformed. And that, that, that's hard. That is hard not to be conformed because Conforming to something will cost you. Not conforming to something will cost you more. And I believe this. The real reason why a good part of the church has conformed 
is because we want the blessings of God. You, you know, the, oh, God, bless me, Lord. Give me favor. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. Give me the parking spot in Jesus' name. Amen. We want the blessings of God. We want the blessings of Christ without paying the cost to follow him. Transformation will cost you. Following Christ will cost you. Paul said you have to become a living sacrifice. You have to die to some things. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me daily. Deny yourself and follow me. He told the disciples, leave your nets behind you. Come and follow me. Leave, leave your livelihood, your job, your occupation behind you. And the reality is we can't have it both ways. We can't say, well, God, bless me. Give me the house and the, and the wife and the two kids and the picket fence and the dog and not the cat, because the cats are from hell, but in the, give it all to me and, and, and bless me and bless me and bless me. But we don't even consider the cost of following him. What does, what does that really mean? And so we want the blessings without ever changing. Let me just ask you, do you know anybody just in the natural? Um, you ever met somebody who always wants the results, but they don't want to put in the work? Come on, raise your hand if you know those people. Okay, don't, you don't have to point at them, but do you know them? Um, Man, there's this one guy, one of my friends, um, he calls me every time. He's probably called me seven times with a, uh, a, a, a get-rich-quick scheme. He's like, Pastor Nick, man, hey, in just seven weeks, you can make $29,000. It'll just take you an hour a day, and you just got to send out one email a day. How many of that, that doesn't work? It doesn't work. Or, or, or we've seen it. Uh, how many of you have seen like fad diets? Like, join now. Lose 33 pounds in the first week. How many of y'all done those? Like the week before vacation, baby. You, you, yeah. You got the wrap. You're running a jelly on your belly and all that. I got it. Okay. I, I came across this one a few years back, and um, this one took the icing on the cake. I actually saw the infomercial. It was like 2 in the morning. So, um, it's this product called Sensa. You ever seen this? You just sprinkle. You just sprinkle it on top of your food. And so uh, I'm going to take you back to my living room at 2 in the morning. And so you just pretend like you want to lose weight and you see this product for the first time. And so you get excited about it in your living room at 2, two in the morning. So just talk to me like I'm the TV. I'm, I'm going to do my best, uh, you know, voice like I'm on TV at 2 in the morning. Okay, here we go. Are you tired of diet and exercise? Well, now you can still enjoy the foods you normally do. No prepackaged meals, no counting calories, no traditional dieting, no exercise. Just sprinkle Sensa on every meal and watch the pounds melt away. Give it to me! You mean to tell me I can eat Domino's pizza, Mama's fried chicken, boudin? cracklings and just sprinkle some sensor and the pounds melt away oh my goodness give me six boxes give me a lifetime membership but isn't the way isn't that the way that we like it isn't that how we like it with our food isn't that how we like it in our relationships isn't that how we like it with our God oh God I'm gonna tell you right now I'm just gonna do what I want to do 
I'll come to church. I'll sing a few songs. I'll say a few prayers. And I'll just sprinkle enough of you on top of me that I don't have to really change what I'm doing. Because I don't want to change what I look at. And I don't want to change who I flirt with. And I don't want to change who I sleep with. And I don't want to change what I smoke. So can I just sprinkle a little of you on top of me and keep ingesting the same thing into my life? And God says, no, I'm not a product to be sprinkled. I'm a God to be worshipped. And so what we do is, you know what the sprinkle is? The sprinkle is just the stuff you put on top. And the reality for, I know I'm talking to the choir today, you're here. This is for the people who are listening on the podcast, I promise. We've made Jesus a sprinkle. I'm going to have it my way. I'm going to live life my way. And I'm just going to sprinkle enough of Jesus on top to make me feel better about myself so I can ingest and consume what I want to ingest and consume. And we made Jesus the sprinkles. You know what sprinkles are, Derek? They're, 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 they're additives. They're the extra. And I think what Jesus is saying to the church is, I'm tired of being your extra. I don't want to be your extra. I want to be your everything. The world is pulling on us, y'all. Sucking us in. Molding us. Listen to me. We are not of this world. We are not of this world. We are not of this world. Maybe that's why First Chronicles says we're aliens to this world. Paul said in Hebrews, we're foreigners. You, you know what happens when, when you see a foreigner? Is Kevin, is Kevin Lalan in here? Ke, Ke, Kevin, he, he might be outside. Kevin is a six foot four white man. He was telling me he went with his wife to, their, to her home country of Korea and they went to a Korean water park. He is six foot four, white man. He was the only one not wearing a life jacket and a swim cap. How many know he stood out? You recognize foreigners because they don't look the same. That's what God is saying about us. We should not look the same. You should look like Kevin Lalan in Korea. Okay, point two. Y'all didn't like that one. I'll go to point two. Number two, what to do? We got to change the pattern. Everybody say pattern. Everything that you are, everything that you think, everything that you do, and everything that you say is a result of pattern. Pattern. Here's my definition of pattern. Pattern is a repetitive rhythm that becomes a norm. It's, it's a reoccurring motif. And patterns are very powerful. Patterns draw you in, don't they? And, 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 and listen, when I say pattern, the word pattern by itself is not, is not bad. It's the wrong pattern. I, I want you to see the power of pattern because patterns pull you in. It's, it's when you see someone with a shirt you like or a blouse you like, and you say, man, I like your shirt. Well, what do I like about it? I like the pattern. I, I like the way that it flows. So the world is full of patterns. There's, there's fashion patterns. There's uh, design patterns. There's textile patterns. There's uh, weather patterns. There's sleep patterns, there's, there's traffic patterns, there's speech patterns, there's musical patterns. In music, when a pattern is repeated, it creates a rhythm. When a pattern is repeated, it creates a rhythm. You can't bounce without pattern. You can't flow without rhythm. That's why you get in your car, and you begin to move to a pattern. Patterns move you. 
What happens when the pattern gets repeated long enough, the pattern comes out of you. That's why you'll hear a song two or three times. You don't even know the words. But after the third time, you start repeating the pattern. The Apostle Paul says, do not conform to the pattern or the rhythm of this world. We would look at this world right now. As Americans, we would say that this world is full of problems. How many of you would agree with that? There's social injustice problems. There's race problems. There's sexual identity problems. There's economic problems. There's sin problems. There's community problems. There's culture problems. There's political problems. And we can look at the climate of America, and we're quick to say that the world is full of problems. I don't think Paul would say that the world is full of problems. I would say Paul would probably say the world is full of problems, but the problems are a result of patterns. See, we are real good at seeing and identifying the problems while failing to recognize the patterns that cause them. So we can look at systemic injustice. We can look at systemic injustice and say there's a problem. But can we look at the pattern that caused the problem? Can, can, we, can we look at the areas in our own life where we say, man, I keep dealing with the sin or I keep, I keep running from man to man or job to job. But can you identify the pattern that's caused the problem? Because if you don't identify the pattern, you'll think the ex-girlfriend was the problem. It was really a pattern that was created in you by you seeing your dad leave when you were seven. Then your stepfather leave when you were 13. Then your, third, your mama's third husband leave when you were 19. And you've, never, you've followed a pattern in your life that you're just starting to repeat. And if we never perceive the pattern, you'll experience life as a series of unrelated problems. And in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is trying to get believers to see that there is a pattern. The pattern is they're living just like culture. They're going this way and that way, just aimlessly living. And he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Think about it this way. Um, if you grow up in America, if you were born in America and you grew up here, chances are you speak English. Y'all agree with that? If you were born in America and you grew up here, chances are you speak English. You with me? If you grew up in South America, somebody at 8 o'clock service said, South English. You probably speak geography. If you grew up in South America, you probably speak Spanish. You know what I noticed about speaking English? We didn't have to take a class to learn how to speak English. Your mom and dad didn't put you in English class when you were four years old. Your mama spoke English. Your daddy spoke English. Your aunt and uncle spoke English. All your friends spoke English. You were not born speaking English. You were born with the ability to speak any language in the world. And the reason why you didn't start speaking Chinese and the reason why you didn't start speaking Russian is because you were born in an environment where the pattern that was displayed before you was the pattern of English. So English comes in, guess what comes out? English. So when you're 12 months old, a pattern begins to develop. When the pattern starts, it's very weak. That's why when you're 12 months old, you just start saying stuff like, mama, cookie, poo-poo. I mean, the pattern, the pattern is weak. and you can, you can just say a couple of words. Because why? Because the brain is made up of neurons. These neurons have nerve endings that send signals. They create neural pathways in your brain. So when you first do something, start doing, doing something for the first time, the neural pathways are very, very weak. 
But as you begin to say, mama, 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 the pathways become stronger and you're hearing mom say other stuff too. So more's coming in, so more, more stuff's coming out because now you're creating a pattern of English in your life. So now it's no longer mama because mom does something funny like, and you say, mama funny, mama funny, mama funny. Then all of a sudden about four years later, say, yo mom, can I get 10 bucks? How do you get there? For, because a pattern was created. And the pattern is so powerful that it progresses. I, I remember Rachel and I started dating 20 years ago. I know, I, I know, she was like seven. I was 21. I'm just, we were in Alabama, it was legal there. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, please. That was a bad joke. We were in college, we were in college. She just looks a lot younger than me. And we started dating, and she gave me directions to her house. Now, how many of you remember the days, like, before Waze? Back in the day, come on, help me out. If you're, like, over 40, over 35, like, if you were driving back in the 90s and in 2002, you remember this. You would have to get on MapQuest and print 17 pages out to go nine miles down the road. And then so you were hoping nobody rode with you in the front seat because you would lay the directions on the passenger seat, you had like a filing system, and you would read a whole, like, one page told you to go two miles. You'd flip, y'all remember that? You flip the whole page over. And so I remembered, uh, from my apartment, the house was like nine miles. And, um, and then I remember, I knew one road at the time, it was called Chalkville Mountain Road, but I remember the directions, and it became a rhythm and a pattern to me. So it was, I would go down Chalkville Mountain Road, take a left on Highway 11, go 3.7 miles, turn on Pepper Tree Lane. Go down Chalkville Mountain Road, take a left on Highway 11, go 3.7 miles, turn on Pepper Tree Lane. Some of y'all are going to memorize how to get to her house. I would go down Chalkville Mountain Road, turn on Highway 11, go 3.7 miles, turn on Pepper Tree Lane. Help me out. I would go down Chalkville Mountain Road, I would turn on Highway 11, I'd go 3.7 miles and take a left on Pepper Tree Lane. I did that for like a week and a half. Like I would have to tell myself how to get to her house. And then one day, like two weeks later, I leave my apartment, and the next thing I know, I'm in her driveway. I don't even remember getting there. It's like love just took me there. How many of you ever been there like before? Like you, you drove to work, you have no idea how you even got there. What happened? Your mind created a pattern, and it just takes over. And that's what happens in our soul. That's what happens in our spirit. That's what happens in our responses. We don't even have to rethink about responding the way that we do. We just post it on social media. Why? Because a pattern was created. The world has a pattern that is so powerful, and they're trying to suck us in. And we shouldn't look like the world. We shouldn't act like the world. We shouldn't think like the world. We shouldn't believe like the world. We shouldn't uh, uh, talk like the world. Our minds should be different. Our conversations should be different. Our Facebook posts should be different. The Apostle Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I came, became a man, I put away the childhood behind me. I know what some of you think. Like, what are you talking about, man? I'm, I'm 45. I've been saved for 20 years. Yeah, but listen to me. Maturity has nothing to do with longevity. Maturity is about a change in mentality. And that's why some people that we know grow old, but they never grow up. Their body has changed, but their mind hasn't. 
And for a large part of the church, we have a saved heart and an unsaved mind. And God wants to transform our minds. We think it's about the behavior. The behavior is just what comes out. He's after a transformed life. I'm closing. I know you got to get to lunch. So here's the solution. Renew your mind. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? Here's the solution. By the renewing of your mind. Everybody say renewal. The concept of, of renewal is, it's nothing new to us. We renew things all the time, don't we? I just renewed my Netflix membership. I've, I've, I've renewed iTunes and Hulu. I've renewed uh, my Sports Illustrated subscription. We, we, we renew things all the time. It's something that has to be continually done. Last year, my, my driver's license was up. I had to go to the DMV pay a fee, take a new picture, and renew my driver's license. Two years ago, I had to go to a state office because it had been 10 years since I got my last passport. I had to go to a state office and fill out some paperwork and renew my passport. Now, in order for me to renew my passport, it cost me. Number one, I had to drive to an office that was far away. It cost me some time. Then it cost me some patience because I filled out all the paperwork, 88 pages. I don't know if it's that many. It felt like a lot. And then the lady comes, doesn't even say a word to me, takes my paper and crumples it up, and she just says this, black ink, honey. Then why do you have blue pens on the desk? It cost me some patience. Then I had to fill out all the paperwork, go through the process, and then I had to take out my pen and I had to write a check. It cost me some money. What am I saying? I'm saying in order for me to renew something, there had to be an exchange. And in exchange for my time, my patience, and my money, I got access to something that I previously didn't have. Go with me. You cannot have renewal without exchange. So when I say I have to renew my mind, I have to exchange something to get something. Are you tracking with me? So when I say renewing my mind, renewing my mind is when I exchange my thoughts, my ideas, and my beliefs, and in turn, I get God's thoughts, God's ideas, and God's beliefs. So it's no longer what Nick Carroll thinks about the issues that are happening in our nation. It's when my mind gets renewed, it's what is God thinking about the issues that are happening in our nation. It's no longer about what does Nick Carroll think about the relationship that I'm in. When I start renewing my mind, I want to think, what does God think and say about the relationship that I'm in? It's no longer about the behavior that I think is coming out of my heart. It's when my mind gets renewed is what does God think about it? And there's only one way that you can exchange what you think for what God thinks. Just one way. It's called God's word. That, that's the only way. God's word renews my mind. You want a new pattern? You want a new rhythm? Here it is. When it comes to God's word, you got to read it. You study it. You learn it. 
you apply it. Here's the rhythm. You read it, you study it, you learn it, you apply it. Help me out. You read it, you study it, you learn it, you apply it. One more time. You read it, you study it, you learn it, and you apply it. And that's so important because so many times we think that we can just come to church and because we love God and we love Pastor Eugene and we love our pastors and we love the church and we love the building, that we can just come and then we can just get refreshed. That's not how it works. You have to get in God's word daily. Daily. And the reality is many of us have treated God's word like it's our passport. We just go every 10 years or every four years or when mama got cancer or when your husband got laid off. Then you're going to crack it open. But God says you've got to renew yourself daily. Why? Because the enemy don't quit. He doesn't take days off. He's coming at you every single day. But the beautiful thing is the Bible says that God's mercies are new every day as well. And so we got to do it daily. You read it. You study it. You learn it. And you, uh, you read it, you study it, you learn it, and you, that last one is the key. You have to apply it. I got some makeup with me. Y'all don't know there was that kind of church, did you? Let's see what I got here. Uh, help me out. What is, what is this? Eyeshadow? Yeah. Ooh. All kind of colors. Be, be blunt color. I got some up front, some straight up, some downright, some forthright, some be blunt. I got a color in here called Truth Hurts. Put that on, Christian. Ooh. Yeah, let's see what else I got in here. I got a mascara. Yeah. Oh, this is this is the stuff they told me smells really good. It's called uh, butter bronzer. Oh, so coconutty. You know, this is called. I don't know what this is called. It's, it's called a what? No, it's not just a brush. It's an application brush you can go to Alta all you want you can buy all the makeup you want you can go to Zephora whatever it's called you can go to every boutique you want you can go to the kiosk in the mall and you can get bags of makeup but until you apply it nothing is transformed oh y'all didn't like that one okay You can go to Lowe's or Home Depot, man. I got one for you too. And you can stack your garage full of gray owl paint. But until you get a brush and start to apply it to your living room, nothing transforms. What am I saying? You can come to church all you want and you can hear the word of God. You can know the word of God. You can learn the word of God and you can study the word of God. But until you apply the word of God to the culture around us and to your heart and to your mind and to your soul, we will never be transformed. Why? Because its value is in the application. And we have churches that know the truth. 
that hear the truth. We just don't apply the truth. What am I saying? It's so simple. James said it this way, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it, is it that simple? Absolutely. Here, you want, if you want a transformed life, just raise your hand. You want to be transformed. Come on, leave it up, leave it up, leave it up, leave it up. If there's things in your heart, you're saying, you know what? I didn't realize it, but I've conformed to some ideologies. I've conformed to some belief system. There's some things in my heart I got to get out because I'm looking kind of like the world in my thought process. Come on, raise your hand. If your hand's up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Come on, we're all, I'm, ta- I'm preaching to myself. I'm standing with you. Okay, watch this. Here's how you renew your mind. You exchange the worldview for the word view. That's what you do. How do you exchange something? You turn your back on it, say, I leave it behind. When I exchange money at a counter and I receive something, I don't keep holding on to the money. I got to leave it and walk away. Maybe the problem with the church is we're just not leaving and walking it away. That's what repentance is. It's when I leave it and I walk away. And I just want to close with a moment of reflection. It's going to be a moment of repentance. True worship is not us singing a song. Paul just told us what true worship is. He said true worship is when you become a living sacrifice. When you say, God, kill that thing in me that's not of you. God, take this sin away. Lord, help me get rid of this mindset. Lord, let me die to my flesh. Let me pick up my cross. God, I really want to follow you, but I'm tired of being conformed. In just the moment, we're just going to begin to worship, and it's just going to come out of some of you, and you're just going to lay it down. That's what worship is. It's laying it down, and when you do, you exchange something, and you pick up something every time you worship. And so we're just going to end in this moment of worship in your own way, in your own words, where you say, God, forgive me. God, I don't want to look like the world. I I want to be set apart. I want to be like the six foot four guy at the Korean water park. Transform me. I hope that you were challenged by that message. I I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking to all of us as we listened to the message from Pastor Nick today. And I'm so grateful to him and God really using him as an instrument. Maybe you're here today and, and you're watching and you were convicted by that message as a believer. Or maybe you're here today and you're going, I'm not even sure where I'm at with God. Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom or you can't enter the kingdom until you've been born again. Pastor Nick talked about Romans 1, chapter 1, all the way to chapter 11 about, you know, the, the ways of our culture and the world. And, and I can tell you in there, the scripture does say in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us fall short. We don't measure up. And that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's why Jesus came to the earth. And I just wanted to tell you today, he's not mad at you. He's not. He loves you. It's why he came to earth while we were yet sinners. He came to this earth, lived a sinless life, to give his life on a cross to pay for the sins of the world, all mankind. 
this mine and yours. And that's why he gave his life. And you go, how do I get this forgiveness? How do I get this born again? By putting your trust and faith in him and repenting of your sins. Not just the transaction, but the transformation. And if you're here today and you'd like to be born again, I'd love to lead you in this prayer. If you'll just bow your head right where you're at and I'll lead you and you can just repeat this after me. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go, and that you rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. So today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer with me today, congratulations, you've just made the greatest decision of your life. We'd love to connect with you. All you have to do is text Connect OSC to 41411. Someone from our team's gonna reach out to you. We just wanna connect you and help you on this spiritual journey. Congratulations. Don't forget, stay locked in with us on social media. We'll always be giving you updates. Remember, this COVID-19 season is fluid, and so we're always adjusting to what the government and uh, those who are um, the CDC, and we, we're always in tune with them. So always stay in line or on in in. Connected with us on social media. And of course, you can always check out OurSaviorsChurch.com for the latest updates. Listen, we love you. God bless you. Can't wait to see you next week.